Okay, G5 Football Daily, the audio accompaniment to our coverage of the Group of Five for Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation Network. Joe Londrigan here with you as always, joined by Eric Henry of 247 Sports. Eric, we got a little bit of breaking news, so let's uh, um, let's let's leave the pleasantries for another time, and I'll simply ask: You ever been to Delaware? <coughs> Excuse me, Joe. Sorry, is I gotta, Delaware has it. that effect on people. I get it. <laughs> Delaware does have that effect on people. No, I, I have. I, it's funny actually. Before I joined the uh, the Texas beat, FIU had a had a, uh, a basketball game, a basketball tournament in Delaware that I, I was scheduled to actually help them with some things um, in terms of some coverage, but never ended up making that trip. So I've not been to Delaware. <laughs> well, we might uh, we might get the chance sooner rather than later because it looks like Delaware is joining Conference USA. At least that's according to a report published Monday morning by ESPN's Pete Thamel, who's usually pretty reliable about this stuff. Blue Hens, pretty strong football program, at least historically, and some added levels of intrigue to Conference USA, which I'll get into in a second. But Eric, your initial reaction to hearing that uh, one of the FCS's longtime I guess bigger brands is uh, joining the FBS and joining uh, a league we're very familiar with. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I, I think at this point we've talked about it um, ad nauseum on this podcast. You kind of have to throw regionality out of the window when it comes to conferences, right? And and I'm really interested to see how things kind of shake out with Delaware joining the conference. As you've talked about, a very rich football history at the FCS levels, a team that you know has one FCS national title specifically in the early 2000s, I believe was their last FCS national title. I believe it was 2003, but again, a very strong tradition of football. I, I think it, it, in terms of the, the sustainability, the, the having the infrastructure to be able to make the jump, I think Delaware definitely fits all the things there. Delaware stadium can fit about 20,000 people. And again, it's, it's, Certainly a stadium that when you look at some of the other teams that have joined Sam Houston State, Jacksonville State and others, it's on par there. And again, just a a very good history of football. So I do like the move. Again, I'll be interested to see, you know, I I asked Conference USA Commissioner Judy McLeod in terms of her thoughts on regionality. And she felt that the conference was actually more regionally aligned, uh, given some of the moves that they made entering uh, what would have been this year. So I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out with Delaware as far as, you know, now being the most Northern uh, team. And maybe does that, um, you know, kind of signal maybe a further expansion in the future for Conference USA, but all in all, uh, very much uh, in favor of the move. I think it's a, it's a great move for CUSA. That's a great point you raised about the further expansion because that's kind of the the conversation on social media already is like, does this signal uh, – Programs like UMass and UConn potentially coming into the fold and some of those other, you know, programs in the mid-Atlantic there that usually kind of stick together, at least to some degree, when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, that's that's why I mentioned in terms of not even just, you know, them sticking together. It's, it's like you, you, you kind of kind of um, alluded to there, Joe. They're just natural partners in terms of whether it's, you know, your Olympic sports or, you know, even just, you know, things like your, your basketballs and others. So. If, uh, you know, for example, a UConn or a UMass or, you know, some of the other programs during the Northeast um, may be interested. Again, it just makes natural sense if that's the potential future plans for, for Conference USA. It makes natural sense that they would be an option. And listen, you know, I'm, I, I think most people who would know us from our previous incarnation of the podcast knows that we are fans of Conference USA. I, I consider myself to be unbiased, but I'm, I'm going to give Judy McLeod credit. You know, she's someone who's taken a lot of heat over the past 
I mean, really almost feels since the time her tenure started as far as the the first original um, incarnation of realignment, right? The one that saw, you know, the FIUs and FAUs and others join the league. And some people said, you know, that that incarnation didn't necessarily work out. I think given the circumstances, given the hand that Conference USA was dealt, losing some of the UCFs and others, you know, that was the best hand that could be played. I think this time around, this time around, excuse me, they've learned from some of their errors and are taking the opportunity to kind of go about this differently. I'll be intrigued to see how it goes. Maybe we can get Commissioner McLeod on the podcast in the near future. Would love that open invitation for Commissioner McLeod. Another added level of interest and I think something that adds to the overall story of Delaware joining this conference, Eric, when they won that national championship in 2003 that you mentioned, unless I'm completely missing something, that's their only Division I national championship, won about five at the Division II level in the uh, middle of the 20th century. Um, but the head coach at that time was one Casey Keeler, who's also an uh, alum of the University of Delaware, who is now the head coach at Sam Houston State, which is now in Conference USA. And the current head coach of the Delaware Blue Hens, one Ryan Cardi, who was the offensive coordinator at Sam Houston under Keeler for a number of years and was also quarterback of that national championship winning team in 2003 so we're going to get to see those two go against each other provided Keeler's still there which i have no reason to think he he won't be there you go a lot of natural ties i think get the nail on the head on all those things there joe it's it's a fun it's a fun little story that's unfolding before our very eyes in the g5 conference championship weekend eric we got uh we got some great matchups this week in my opinion as we kind of decide who is going to win the aac championship specifically ultimately i think that champion is gonna be the new year six representative however stranger things have happened number 23 Tulane hosting smu uh Tulane minus four in yulman stadium they're hosting this game for the second year in a row Personally, uh, my pick is Tulane. Something that I think is going to have to be taken into consideration here is the injury to Preston Stone that happened last week. Unfortunately, uh, he's played so well this season, and to see him get carted off, there's clearly something major going on in his leg. We don't know the full extent of it yet, but you know, either way, Tulane is going to have to keep that offense off of the field. But based on what we've seen so far when they've uh, played without Stone, whether it's been, you know, to let him rest or, or whatever it may be, they're a little bit less potent, uh, significantly less potent, I should say, with him on the sideline. Not to say they don't have a ton of talent at other positions, but the quarterback's the quarterback, right? So ultimately, Tulane's been in this position before. And I think with the advantages they already have, they've uh, they've got this one. Yeah, no, I was going to say two towards out of my mouth there in reference to Preston Stone, certainly someone who really drives that offense up there in Dallas. Uh, the big thing, listen, I think it's a it's a nice accomplishment for SMU, uh, one of the holdovers from the old American conference to make a push. I, I, in my mind, listen, um, I, I was kind of really, you know, entering the year, interested to see how the season would shake out in terms of, if you take a look at Conference USA, right, you got two newcomers in Liberty and New Mexico State. First, we'll talk about them in a second, making their way to the CUSA title game. Where would things fall in the American, right? I think some people, or a lot of people really felt that UTSA would make that challenge, and they certainly had an opportunity last week to punch their ticket to the CUSA to the, so, CUSA to the American 
conference title game weren't able to do it. But yeah, it's a nice matchup of you have Tulane, one of the you know the holdovers and mainstays of the old incarnation of the conference, and then an SMU uh, also as well. So I uh, just really interested to see how that matchup goes. And and and, and um, as you talked about with Crescent Stone not being in the lineup, I do think it's Tulane's ball game to win. Michael Pratt should be able to send off his uh, Gilman Stadium career with a win. Yeah, I think we're in alignment there. And uh, let's talk about Conference USA then next, which I, I guess I should say for the American, uh, as far as where you can watch that one, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern ABC on Saturday, December 2nd. Should be a good one. But CUSA, Liberty, number 25 in the nation, hosting New Mexico State uh, Saturday, December 2nd. And that one is going to be 7 p.m. Or I'm sorry, that's going to be Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Liberty minus 10 and a half. These guys are 12 and 0 for a reason, right? We've seen them execute the run game better than just about everybody else in the G5. Uh, Caden Salter, such an effective runner. He's he's a good passer as well, but I think his uh, his strength really lies in his overall athleticism and, and the plays he makes with his legs. Uh, and then you've got Quentin Cooley, who is, again, just about as forceful a runner and as good of a downhill runner, at, at, at least in Conference USA, uh, that we've seen this year. So I really like what we've seen from that aspect of Liberty's offense specifically. But they can really beat you in a multitude of ways. But ultimately, I think if uh, they win, which I believe they will, it's going to be through that running game because New Mexico State's pass defense has really just kicked it up a notch these last three, four weeks. And of course, you can never count out Diego Pavia, one of the scrappiest guys in the G5, but ultimately I think New Mexico State are just a little bit outgunned in terms of overall talent here. You know, it's interesting. I wouldn't necessarily say they're outgunned as far as overall talent, although, yes, if you take a look at where Liberty's been over the past few years, the infrastructure that Hugh Freeze built and now Jamie Chadwell's been able to add on to, you can make that case. The big thing for me, why I think the line is what it is, it's twofold. One, we've already seen this matchup. We've seen New Mexico State head to Liberty. They lost by 16 early in the year. Now, if I were making the opposite argument, you would say that the Mexico State team that lost in week three is not the same team that's rattled off, you know, I believe seven straight wins here, and or seven or eight straight wins, and the one that beat Auburn and Jacksonville State, so and Western Kentucky, you know, so beat three really good football teams down the stretch here. At the end of the day, like you talked about, I think Diego Pavia, Star Thomas, and others, some of the playmakers they have, they're you know definitely going to. Uh, be able to make a a better game as opposed to the first outing. And Jerry Kill will certainly, you know, devise a game plan to make this one close and competitive all the way through. But in the end of the day, I do think Liberty is too much, and they will cruise to thirteen and up. In the Mountain West, this one I think is super duper interesting. We've got UNLV hosting Boise State, three p.m. Eastern on Fox on Saturday. Line for this one. Boise State is actually favored minus two and a half as of uh, early in the week. I believe that's just the opening line. But what we've seen from this Bronco team the last couple of weeks under interim head coach Spencer Danielson has been just incredibly impressive. This uh, backfield specifically, Ashton Gentry and George Halani, so physical. And Gentry specifically, I think he's about as effective as a – you know, I, I forget what the word is as far as um, running backs that can be a threat in the run game and the passing game. 
but he's uh, he very much is that, and I think he's better at that than just about anybody in the country. Uh, he's over 1,100 yards for the year, 13 touchdowns. I think he's going to be the X factor in this one. As good as UNLV has been, they've just got to get it a little bit tighter from these last couple of weeks, right? Jaden Maeva, uh, you know, some of that that freshman rawness showed a little bit in my opinion they've got some really good receivers and ricky white specifically who's been in my opinion the best g5 receiver in the country just in terms of overall production uh but you know you got to ask yourself is that you know experience and that that boise polish that we've seen the last two weeks specifically gonna win out here i'm having a tough time picking this one eric yeah you know it's interesting you talked about Jaden Maeva, Ricky White, obviously that combo, that quarterback running back combo certainly plays a large factor for UNLV. And you talk about the all-purpose abilities of Ashlyn Genty in the backfield. I'm going to go another route. Um, the guy I'm keeping an eye on is Vince Davis, a uh, product of Fort Lauderdale, Florida Cardinal Gibbons High School. You know, I, I, I think if you take a look at him, the pit transfer, the easiest way in my mind to take some of that pressure off of Jaden Maeva is just to have a steady running game. And in my mind, Vince Davis is someone who has had success earlier, uh, you know, early parts of the year, just over 600, we've got 650 yards, ish, 650 ish yards in the year and a few scores. If they can just get steady production out of him, steady production out of the run game as a whole, right? You know, kind of that three-headed monster because Gene Maiva can also use his legs as well. I'm going to go with UNLV. I think they'll look to bounce back and really kind of cap off what's been an incredible year for the runners. For the run, for the strike, yeah, for the the running rebels. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where I was doing with the runners. You were half right. Clearly, you were I'm, half I'm, right. I'm, I'm I'm thinking track right now. Clearly. <laughs> oh man, both these guys in Barry Odom and Spencer Danielson, in my mind, uh, very much in line for bigger jobs down the line. Whether that's you know this cycle or potentially the next one, done some really incredible things. Um, just you know, despite the circumstances that they each were presented with, but. Uh, moving on to the Sun Belt, Eric. This one, just old-fashioned physical football. I'm really excited for it. Uh, John Sumrall's Troy defending champs, minus six and a half as they host uh, yet another championship game, 4 p.m. Eastern on Saturday in Troy, Alabama. And uh, they host the East champs, App State, eight and four after a really – uh, fantastic run these last couple of weeks, beating JMU and uh, beating Georgia Southern last week in that rivalry game. Joey Aguilar, his play's been very much elevated in the second half of the season, but you've also got to contend with uh, guys like Kamani Vidal on the other side of the ball for Troy. Like this, this Troy team is is ten and two for a reason. And in after those first couple of weeks, when we really saw they weren't winning those battles at the line of scrimmage, that's very much changed. John Summerall does not like. Uh, when his team it doesn't get off the ball and and play that brand of physical football that uh, you know we're we're beginning to associate with him more and more. So I like the Trojans, but given what App State has done all year and just hanging in these close games and making them as dramatic as possible, it would seem I would not count them out by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Obviously, App State found a way when their season looked like it was heading in the opposite direction. They found a way to rattle off. Some wins. I don't know if you caught that presser of that App State game, Joe, um, on Saturday night, the post-game presser there, but a really emotional um, press conference with a guy, you know, in terms of someone who you know has App State roots through and through. Uh, and 
the fact that, you know, he, he didn't want to be the one coach that didn't get his team to a bowl game and, and have, excuse me, a team playing for that, uh, that conference title, that, that level of success that App State has been, you know, for even going back to their FCS days. Now, in my mind, uh, I think the big factor for Troy is twofold again. You look at the team, you talk about Kamani Vidal and them really being a run-based offense. Gunnar Watson, I mean, I, I can't – I don't know if we've made enough of this as maybe we, we should have. He's a guy who last year was very much a, hey, don't lose it for us. We got great defense. We got Carlton Marshall. We're going to, you know, play keep, play keep away from the other team. He's now become a weapon for, you know, Troy in terms of being a 3,000-yard passer and, and showing the ability when needed to make throws. That, again, quite frankly, I, I didn't see Gunnar Watson being that guy last year. And you flip on the defensive side of the ball, again, we talk about the loss of Carlton Marshall. Yeah, someone who, you know, is right up there in terms of all-time leading tackler in college football. But Javon Solomon, Joe, is a guy who is 2021 year, you know, 50-plus tackles. I think he had 17 tackles for loss and probably 10 sacks. He comes back after a, a down year last year, fought through some injuries, 15 tackles for loss, 14 sacks. That's going to be, be a, a critical X factor in my mind and why I'm leading towards Troy. You know, it's interesting on the Gunnar Watson front. I agree he's improved dramatically this season, and he's looked really, really solid in spots. Uh, Summerall talks about him as being dumb tough. Like he's got that, you know, football player mentality, will absolutely put his body on the line, give everything he has physically. But until this year, he just really didn't have that mental edge in terms of, you know, learning how to prepare and just look at the game from more of a critical standpoint. And the guy he credits with getting him to this point is actually Jarrett Dagey, who's in the CFL now, and it was kind of a college football journeyman there for a couple of years. Watson getting to see the way that he prepared for opponents and watched film and analyzed it. He's taken a lot of uh, insight, I guess, from how Diggy did that and has added it to his arsenal. And the finished product is is what we're seeing this year. Um, all right, let's round it out with uh, the MAC game, Eric. The uh, championship game at uh, Ford Field in Detroit, noon on Saturday. Toledo, technically the host, uh, they're holding, uh, they're playing rather a team they've already beaten this year in the Miami Ohio Redhawks. Who are also a double-digit win team. Toledo minus eight. You know, I as good as Miami has looked in spots this year, and as much adversity as they fought through as far as injuries, I, Toledo's looked phenomenal this season. I think their secondary is just about the best in the G five. I think if you put Toledo's secondary and uh, JMU's front seven. I think that's basically an NFL team in my mind, or at the very least a power five defense. But anyway, Toledo's so phenomenal. I'd be shocked if, if Jason Candle uh, didn't get, you know, serious, serious consideration for power five job. Uh, once what he's done with this rocket program in the last couple of years has been extremely impressive, very good rocket football team. They've got. Yeah, no, listen, you, you talked about the fact that, Toledo certainly having a great year. Jason Candiel, one of the top group of five coaches. I'm just really interested to see where Miami comes into this ball game. You know, they talked about, you talked about them having some injuries. Brett Gabbert obviously being the main one. Uh, this offense is, looks like it's going to be in the hands of A. Beyond Smith at quarterback. Where does that leave them as far as having a fighting, a fighting chance with a guy like Rashad Amos, a big 6'3", 230-pound running back, you know, is going to get downhill defense and try to make plays too. 
hundred tackle guys there on defense. But at the end of the day, yeah, you talked about it. I think Toledo, uh, they won this matchup by four, uh, a game that they got out to lead, I believe at a 17-point lead in the first half before uh, Miami fought back and, and scored two touchdowns in the third quarter. But yeah, I, I do think that line's pretty accurate. And um, I'm leaning towards Toledo to represent the MAC for 2023 out there at Ford Field. It's hard to believe we're already uh, at this point, you know, waiting on bowl matchups. You know, it, it flew by a little bit, in my opinion. I mean, granted, this was one of the most hectic years of my life, Eric. And I think with you taking on, you know, a cross-country move and all that, it's, it's, it's been wild, you know. So it's, <laughs> it, what, what, what's your take on how we got to this point as a uh, fledgling media group here with, with, with this project? Yeah, no, listen, it definitely has been an eventful year. Maybe we'll have to do like a, a, a recap, right? Just kind of how this whole thing came together following bowl season. Let it give our, you know, new fans an opportunity to get to know us a little bit more behind the curtain and our old fans who have joined us here a, a little bit, an opportunity to see how things have kind of progressed here as well. Yeah, you talk about bowl season. I'm sitting here about five days from conference title matchup here in the Big 12. And listen, I, after all the moving I have done this year, I, I – you know, I think Texas fans would be a little upset at me if I said this, but I would not be upset if the final two games take place in Arlington, Texas, uh, which would be the Big 12 title game, and then, of course, the Cotton Bowl. However, that would mean that Texas wouldn't make the playoff. But listen, to bring all the way back to travel, uh, I'm more than happy with just a two-hour ride to, to Arlington as opposed to getting on a plane for another time this year. It's a two-hour flight? A two-hour ride. Sorry, two-hour drive. So it's Arlington. Okay. I apologize. Yeah. Okay. Texas. I'm still trying to figure out Texas geography for as many times I've been there. It's it's a wild state. Very, very much a very uh, massive state. I mean, it's not like you know, think about it from here to El Paso, something like five, six hours, right? So that's kind of should uh, shooting itself. A lot of land yeah. mass here. Very, very true. <laughs> Reaction to the college football playoff rankings that came out after the week 13 games and heading into conference championship weekend. Tulane up to 22 from number 23 following that win over UTSA. Not unexpected there. Small reward for them. In some ways, though, it's not even really that much of a reward because just behind them, by two spots are the undefeated Liberty Flames at number 24 who move up from that number 25 spot after that win at UTEP. So, you know, I think the thing to keep an eye on this week as it pertains to this uh, G5 bid for the New Year's Six, if Tulane win this AAC championship game, they're in. I, I don't really see how you could justify any other outcome, right? However, if they lose somehow to an SMU team that doesn't have Preston Stone, and then you have Liberty right behind them, and they somehow just blow New Mexico State out of the water in the Conference USA Championship game, that's where things get really interesting. And then... Also, you have to keep in mind, if for some reason Liberty also lose, then I think you have to give that bid 
to SMU. The committees talked about how much they value the AAC championship and how they value conference championships in general. So I think that would only make sense. I think the the kind of perception is that the AAC is kind of a stronger conference than, than Conference USA. I don't know that everybody subscribes to that line of thinking. However, I think you can look at Tulane and SMU both and objectively say they had a little bit stronger uh, schedule than Liberty. And that's not Liberty's fault. They played who was on their schedule and they beat everybody up to now. So they, it's just a matter of who is the best team in the words of uh, Boo Corrigan this week. And, you know, we're not going to know until they actually play each other, which they might in a bowl game. Uh, if, if Liberty gets one of the uh, bigger name AAC teams, like whoever loses this game, for example, <laughs> I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. But that is to say, if Tulane lose and Liberty win, would not surprise me to see Liberty sneak into that New Year's Six game. But really, it kind of comes down to how SMU perform in that game. And if they do win, how do they win? And how do they do it without their star quarterback? Thank you all so much for listening once again. Conference Championship Week. Make sure you tune in and come back next week as we break it all down. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And then G5 Football Daily uh, for clips, that sort of thing. And uh, subscribe if you haven't already. If you've got, if you've just found us, you're just checking us out, like what you hear, uh, we'd very much appreciate it and uh, a review as well. Um, all right. Happy football watching, everybody. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, here's to whatever it is, six more weeks of football, something like that. We'll, we'll be here for all of it. See ya.